Hey guys, well today we are revisiting an interview I did with my friend Caleb Wild. Caleb is an author. He's the author of the book Confessions of a Funeral Director and his newer book, which is called All the Ways Our Dead Still Speak, A Funeral Director Speaks on Death, Life, and the Hereafter. Caleb, he has an interesting job and he is a guy that just has a lot of profound wisdom about life. He and I in this conversation talk about how embracing our mortality can help us live more fully. He shares with us a lot of his insights about facing death and what we can learn about loss. Hope you enjoy it. Okay, Caleb, thank you so much for joining us. I'm really excited to talk to you about this. I'm excited to talk yeah. about death. That sounds weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm always talking about it, so this is... I was actually just in in Hollywood the other day, and I don't think are there any do people die in Hollywood? No, no, <laughs> no, like, no. Like Everyone lives no... forever from a mix of quaaludes <laughs> right. and Botox. <laughs> right. Like I, I, I didn't see any nursing homes. I didn't see any funeral, no. home, and there wasn't any old people. We don't want to so look I, at those. Who wants to look at that, Caleb? We right. hide those away. <laughs> I, yeah, I felt out of place. I'm actually 87 years old. (laughs) (laughs) That's our next podcast topic. (laughs) And still having periods, right? Oh, Oh, look at you, regular listener. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So tell us where you're, where you are calling in from. You're in a unique location right now. I am. I am in a closet on the second floor of our funeral home because everywhere else, uh, believe it or not, is it has people in it. Uh, so today, it's not too busy of a day, but we uh, had a family come in this morning and then there's a family right now. So I'm tucked away, away from the noise. Yeah. So, I mean, give us a little background, you know, for those who don't know you, you grew up in the funeral home business, right? I played hide and go seek in the casket room from (laughs) as young as I can remember. Most of our holidays were in the funeral home. Uh, So it's a family owned funeral home. It's not like a corporate run run funeral home where you have like a um, a Mecca uh, funeral home that's beautiful and designed specifically for funerals. This, these are old homes that have been converted to funeral homes. And my grandparents uh, lived in this home up until my grandmother died in 92. Uh, so it was kind of like a, a space that one day was uh, a place for holidays and Thanksgiving dinners. And the next day, uh, it was a funeral home. It's so interesting. And so you really grew up with this this sort of um, acknowledgement of death because it was it was all around you. Yeah, death was quite normal for for me. I you know we'd go over to my grandparents and there'd be somebody laid out in the next room and we'd go in and and look to see what they looked like and uh, you know kind of look them over and maybe if we were brave enough to reach out and touch their hands if my grandfather didn't see us. I actually, I'm kind of a unicorn. So uh, not only is my uh, paternal uh, family, my paternal grandparents, are they funeral directors, but my maternal were as well. So oh, uh, wow. bread. It, yeah, it comes from Whoa. both sides. Uh, so no matter which grandparents' house I went to, uh, there were dead people. Wow. Wow. 
Yes. That is so different. Well, I didn't realize that. Yeah, so I was kind of damned to do this. I mean, I, I didn't really have much of a choice. <laughs> well, I mean, did you did you have a you know kind of that crisis in in your adolescence or young adulthood of like, am I gonna do this, or was it just a given? I rebelled by doing humanitarian work. So oh, after, brother, right, <laughs> you're the some, worst. Oh. <laughs> I am. Yeah. Um, it was something life-giving, so I, you know, I trekked uh, supplies to indigenous villages in Madagascar, did those type of things for two years uh, away from the funeral home, and then I ran out of money, and uh, that's uh, that'll do it. Kind of a reality, <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> so I ended up uh, back here and uh, started to uh, go to school and and. Uh, cut out my own niche. Yeah. Although I feel like it could be said that, you know, what you do is humanitarian work as well. Do you feel like that? It took me a while to frame it that way. Uh, So I come from a pretty religious background and I think most funeral directors are religious. There's, in fact, we were told in funeral school, if you want a good business, go to the biggest church. And if you want a really good business, go to a couple of the biggest churches. So whether or not, you know, it's a personal thing, most funeral directors are somehow involved in some type of religious uh, uh, formality like church. So death, death is shamed uh, in religious cultures, especially, you know, uh, American Christianity. It's shamed on a, a, a couple fronts. And I never thought that there could be something good in death care. And it it took me a while Hmm. uh, to see, to reframe it. And talk about that, that shame, how, how death is shamed in our culture. Yeah. So mortality as a whole is, is shamed. Uh, We have, uh, we worship youth, but it's, it's on multiple fronts. Uh, You know, we, so for instance, we had a, a funeral a couple years back for somebody who OD'd, um, and the, which is quite common, uh, you know, I think we've probably had 20, maybe 25 to 30 overdose deaths this year already wow. that we've served, wow. and mainly heroin, but, uh, so it was a, it was a service, it was at a church, and this guy's best friend didn't show up, didn't show up. And we waited and we waited. The service was supposed to start. Somebody got a text. He's on his way. So we waited for him and he shows up and he's like fighting to get up to the casket, literally pushing back from his friends and, uh, breaks down like in front of everybody. So the casket was positioned in front of the church. Everybody could see him just weeping over the chest of his friend and it kind of brought this sacred space into the church where all of a sudden everybody was fixated on grief and they felt permission to feel what they were feeling and everybody started crying. It was a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And the, the preacher, you know, ends it and gets up there and he just talks about how God is this great, big, strong God and uh, God stands firm in the midst of all of our turmoil. And uh, 
kind of the the backhanded comment there is that all of these emotions, all of these weaknesses, uh, all of this humanity is somehow not like God. Mm. Um, mm. And so when, you know, I, I almost felt like when this guy came in and cried that the, the chapel was brought into worship. If, um, you know, if we see, if we see uh, God as somebody who is near the brokenhearted or we see God as somebody that resonates with our own pain, then grief is not becoming less like God, but it's becoming more like God or it's becoming more in tune with who we are. And so I, I felt as though the pastor got up, the whole place was worshiping, and all of a sudden he stopped it and mm. uh, kind of moved on to his own version of how he wanted to see things. And yeah, so that's sure, one yeah. way I think, you know, mortality is shamed, where we use this strong picture of God and we all try to be like that. And what we do as a result is we're not honest with our grief. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not honest with our needs, our vulnerabilities, and we're not honest with our mortality. Um, so I don't know how well um, we do with self-care around death. I, I, mm-hmm. I think we're, we, we suck at it because we, we suck at grief. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're always looking for closure. Um, yeah. And we're o- always looking to end the process mm-hmm. uh, instead of uh, embracing the difficulty, embracing the grief. Uh, so if we can't acknowledge our grief, we're not going to be able to care for it very well. Right. And, uh, yeah, you certainly see that a lot. Wow. Yeah. How do you feel like an awareness of our own mortality, you know, can can that push us to live more fully? Because I feel like w- we are all so scared of death, our own mortality, aging. But how does that maybe rob us from a fuller life? So I think that death is one of our greatest teachers. I think it's one of the greatest voices that we can have and meditate on consistently. I do. It's cheesy, you know, especially the the next tragedy that happens, the news anchor will invariably say, go home and hug your children today. And it's almost like it's it's so cliche. It's funny. That's right. Right. But it's very true. I mean, you look at a lot of meditative practices specifically focus on mortality and allowing the fact that we will die and inform our daily choices and our goal setting inform uh, so much of our lives and if we if we uh, don't allow that space in our lives uh, i think we rob ourselves of uh, life's perhaps greatest teacher what does self-care look like in the midst of grief mm. well i can speak to myself uh, when I first started the funeral, uh, the funeral business, so I, I just got done, I just got done meeting with a family who lost their, um, newborn. Um, they, it was healthy, uh, up till the day mm. of birth. And 
it's something like that is devastating on a personal level. Uh, for me, when I first entered, I didn't think that I could keep going um, because I saw that stuff. And it, it was, it's, on, it's like secondary trauma. It is secondary mm-hmm. trauma. It kind of rewires my brain. Yeah. Uh, I see darkness and I, I see all the sad and I can't see the good things. I think that's what it does. Like Las Vegas, those tragedies, what they do is they kind of just make you myopic where all you can see is the dark. And it's almost like it's a rewiring where you can't see anything else. And I was, I was at that point of uh, not being able to see the good. Um, so for me, it was, it, first of all, I was recognizing how, sh- am I allowed to cuss here? Are we, are, are we cussing in this <laughs> we, podcast? We wish. We wish. Well, okay, okay. We, we've well, had I'm to be bleeped I, many times. We okay, can bleep I'm glad I call myself. Yeah, we can. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, my life was f***ed up. I, it was really up for a number of years of being very close to the edge of not having anything else to give. And I think death does that to you. It kind of can take away your life as well. Uh, it, it can both give and it can take away. It can be the thing that inspires, it can also be the thing that sucks life out of you. And I had to reframe for one. But I think the thing that I'm settling in on is I had to find the liminal spaces, the in-betweens, the thresholds. And what I mean by that is that for me, I had to acknowledge that I could be both whole and broken. And at one point in my life, I thought they were two separate things that didn't go hand in hand. I thought that I was either the strong one or the weak one. I was either the helper or I was the one being helped. I was either the humanitarian aid worker or I was the, the one being served. Uh, but as I became more and more broke, uh, through the different experiences that I had that I wasn't prepared for at all. So um, the liminal space was beginning to acknowledge that I could exist doing both because mm-hmm. I felt the more broken I felt, the more I felt like I needed to remove myself from the business uh, and from death care. But I started to become more comfortable in the in-between of acknowledging that I was both whole and broken, that I could be both the one who's being helped and the one who is helping. And that was, that was key. Um, so, yeah, so I think that self-care and grief, it's a new normal And it's being okay to sit in the tensions of being broken and whole. Mm -hmm. And it's also looking for the spaces that we initially don't see that are beautiful. And death creates a lot of beautiful things. It can bring out the best in people. But yeah, Yeah. I think it's so eloquent what you just said, though, the whole, whole versus broken. And I think anyone can apply that to so many different 
parts of their own life. You know, it's just, it's just not black and white. There's, there's so much nuance there. And to be able to get to that point where you realize that, like you said, you can be both, you can operate in both of those. I mean, that's just a great way of living. Yeah, we love binaries. Uh, we oh, love yes, yeah. don't we? Don't we? <laughs> yeah, Black we or white? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yes or no. Yes. Uh, but death death exists in liminal spaces. It's always in between. And to embrace, and that's part of the problem too, our binary approach to death. Is it possible that you can be both dead and alive? Is it possible that somebody can be both absent and present? And Yes, I, I think it can in death. Uh, if we enter it with they are gone and they are gone for good and there's no residue of their presence, uh, there's nothing left, uh, then it's, it's, it is deeper and darker than if we say it's possible for them to be gone and yet still living in us, uh, mm-hmm. still living in their community. Uh, there's still residue of their life Mm -hmm. all around and finding that residue and and seeing that it's not either or that it's both in your book you talk about this this practice of active remembering talk to us about what that means yeah so it it's basically the idea that we don't give any space to the dead in our lives so like we have a cemetery but cemeteries are no longer in like the, the more and more people are getting cremated uh, which I have nothing against, uh, and I just preface all this by saying that. But when we're moving all around uh, after jobs and so forth, we don't have the same community ties to the same cemeteries. We don't have any spaces anymore that are for the dead. All of our spaces are mm. for the living, uh, and I think that's uh, I think that robs us. You know, part of our, our history is what. Uh, enables us to feel whole in the present and it gives us strength for the future and we too often cut off our history because maybe it's too hard or we've sought after closure and god i'm done with those emotions now let's just cut them off and move on but i think if we allow the dead to have space in our lives it 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 helps us in the present and helps us in the future so active remembering for me i think that it just is the most honest and healthy for us to say, uh, here's some space uh, in our lives for you, whether that is uh, something weird like a shrine, which I've seen before, um, or just uh, pictures throughout the house, or talking with it with family and friends. Um, Allowing the dead space in our lives is, is something that I'm, I, I think is super healthy for our grief, grief process. Yeah, and it's interesting because it feels like other cultures are better at this kind of active or intentional remembering. They they have practices like shrines or more interactive cemeteries or, you know, Dia de las Muertes where there's a day set yes. aside to remembering. And it, it does feel like our American culture doesn't really know how to do that so much. No, no, we don't. I think part of it's because we're still young. I mean, comparatively to all the other cultures in the country, we're one of mm. the younger countries. And, you know, we, we are so, we love boxing things. We love linear things. Uh, we love binary things. And these are 
things that we pursue so hard and the dead just don't exist in those spaces. Uh, they exist in the cyclic spaces and in, in the non-binary liminal spaces. Uh, and so culturally, we just have a bunch, a bunch of hurdles that we have to get through. And grief exists, you know, it's cyclic. It's not linear. Uh, mm-hmm. And as long as love exists, uh, closure doesn't happen. Because as long as there's love, there's grief. As long as there's love, there's still connection. As yeah. long as there's love, uh, there's still a sense where our loved ones are present with us. What are some ways that you care for yourself when dealing with so much heaviness? I have a subwoofer in the back of my car, and I turn it up really loud. I'm not kidding. It's like it's like cheap yoga. So it like centers you, the bass uh, kind of moves your body and get it tingling. That helps. Um, I, and I'm finding that I have to, I do have to meditate. Like if, I, if it's just five minutes for me to, to breathe, uh, focus on my breathing is super helpful. And then the concept of applying, and I know this sounds weird, but forgiving a situation, uh, forgiving what I just experienced, not because I was wronged, but because I need to let it go. So I don't know if we can apply the word forgiveness to something where I wasn't necessarily hurt today, but I experienced some type of harm. And I don't know what the word is for that. Like, how do I, what, what word can I use to describe myself letting that go? Um, and so forgiveness is something that I've settled on, even though I know it doesn't mm. work exactly, but being able to just breathe deep, let it go, use one of the meditation apps on my phone, uh, interspersed with uh, an extra long drive in my car, uh, listening to some hip hop. Hey, that <laughs> sounds good Hip hop solves all. <laughs> it, does. it does. Well, thank you so much, Caleb. We really appreciate it. Um, you have, yes. So it's so interesting and you've just, um, imparted a lot of wisdom to us. So we really appreciate you taking the time today. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for letting me talk and some of these undeveloped thoughts, letting me get them out there. It's helpful for me. And if you guys are interested in hearing more about Caleb's process with becoming death positive, we would encourage you to check out his book, which is very fascinating, Confessions of a Funeral Director. We will link up to it at selfiepodcasts.com.